Good morning, Conduit. How are you this morning? You know, it's a, my wife said something this morning. I, I got to agree with her. She, she said, you know, it's a good morning when on a 90-degree day, the, uh, the spirit gives you goosebumps. Oh, I, I got to agree with that. What an awesome opportunity we have to love our city. Amen? You get those cards, you see all of the opportunities, right? You know, I bet if, even if you can't afford to put quarters in the jar, um, I bet you know how to fold a shirt, right? And so the opportunity to serve just in small capacities that make big differences in the lives, that, uh, in the lives of those who need an experience the love of Jesus Christ, they're, they're ample. And we want to give them to you, not, not just because we believe um, it's a part of our mission and responsibility as people who follow Jesus Christ, but, but because of, also because in the act of serving, we are discipled to Jesus. In, in the act of serving, we become closer to the ultimate servant. To the one who, through the Spirit of God, is continually serving uh, all the time and everywhere. So, um, I can't encourage you enough, implore you enough, uh, to be prayerfully considering what one of those opportunities out of the many um, you want to plug into and sow into, or all of them get into, um, to bless to bless the city. I am just like, I'm already tired looking at the week, but I'm also um, I'm also really really excited about about those opportunities. So um, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and take it out. Turn in Luke uh, to chapter 19. You can also get there's a a Bible link on your Conduit app, or I know some. Um, some other apps that we have out there that you can get to. Just get there. Luke 19. If you grew up in the church, or if you've ever been to Sunday school, or ever taught a Sunday school class, you've probably learned, been taught, or sang a song about Zacchaeus. Right? Uh, Zacchaeus was a what? Wee little man. All right, we got a bunch of church people in here. Amen. Um, and a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. And I don't know if there's a second verse, but that's the verse that I learned. Um, and that is the basis, or at least the beginning of the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector, that we're going to read right now in Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. Because of the crowd. Sorry, I don't know why that's funny, but it just is. <laughs> the dude was short. He couldn't see over everyone. 
So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Thank you, Jesus. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. We talk about a radical transformation when someone encounters Jesus Christ. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Uh, Pray with me for a, a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for, um, in not a very flippant way, Lord, but Lord, we thank you for the revelation of your word that that recalls and retells the stories um, of Jesus, your Son. Lord, that provide both a a living witness to us as as we desire to be discipled closer to Him and to you, Lord, but um, also helps us to examine uh, our own lives, uh, who the Zacchaeuses are in our lives, how we're interacting with them, Lord, but also in a very real way, Father, um, help us to see the Zacchaeus in us. Help us to see the Zacchaeus in me. Lord, that the response that Zacchaeus had when encountered by Jesus would be a response that is fresh upon my heart and soul, Lord, so that Jesus may say of me, That Jesus may say of us, as he said of Zacchaeus, today's salvation has come to this house. Lord, we trust you. We don't trust ourselves, Lord. We don't trust in the wisdom of man. We don't trust in the opinion of man, Lord. We don't trust in, um, in cultural or worldly opinions that would say, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Lord, but we trust in your word that says that the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, Lord. We have been lost and you have found us, Lord. And now we are walking with you in and on mission as you seek and save others. Lord, by your grace, make us worthy of the task. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, I chuckle at the story of Zacchaeus while reading it, of course, um, because I resonate with uh, a certain, uh, a a little portion of it. And maybe not what you're all thinking. Uh, Yes, I am indeed a sinner. Uh, And yes, Jesus has indeed uh, found me and saved me. But before any of that, like, I was the shortest kid in my class. All right? I was, as Luke calls it, of 
short stature or of small stature. And uh, so I can resonate with Zacchaeus being like, trying to get above the crowd, trying to see what was going on, what the commotion was as Jesus was walking into town. Now, the reputation of Jesus very obviously preceded him. Because as the crowd was coming through, Zacchaeus knew that it was him. He wanted to see who Jesus was. Now, at this point in Jesus' ministry, there had been rumors about who he was, about what he was doing, about um, what his end goal was. And in the later portions of the gospel, you see that Jesus is on a very definitive march toward Jerusalem. So, kind of the die had been cast, and he knew what he was going to do, and others were beginning to get the picture as well. Increasingly, more and more and more and more and more, the disciples were understanding, the religious leaders were beginning to plot against him. How can we trap this guy? How can we stop him in his tracks? And so, the reputation of Jesus preceded him. It was not as if Zacchaeus had no idea who Jesus was. There was this kind of maybe you know, reputation or knowledge that Jesus had. Oh, he, had, he did this to the blind man and he touched a leper and he, he showed mercy or he fed the 5,000 or he's teaching with authority. He's, he's, coming, he's coming against the hypocrisy of the, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and there was all of this commotion surrounding Jesus. And so as Jesus was coming into the city, there was some latent curiosity about who he was. There was this, I really want to see what all the commotion is with this guy. Now, here's the interesting thing. Is that I think most of us would say that if there was this kind of, um, this mysterious but popular, um, seemingly miracle-working, bound-up-with-authority, teaching, messiah figure traveling all around Chautauqua County, right? And he just happened to be passing down Delaware Ave, right? That most of us would want to get, like, front and center, like a, when a parade comes down the street, right? You try and get a spot on the curb un, unobstructed by any other view so that you can see the show, see what's, what's going on. We want to get as close to the action as possible. Well, Zacchaeus' tack was a little different. He really wasn't concerned, it doesn't seem, with getting as close to Jesus as possible. Uh, Zacchaeus was a prominent figure, or popular, maybe not for the right reasons, right, but popular person and figure in the community. It would not have been difficult for him to get an ear, or to get a voice with Jesus. To push his way through the crowd, no matter how short or tall or skinny or big he was. Like, he could have gotten there. Uh, the thing that interests me is that it seems as though Zacchaeus chose to stay at a little bit of a distance from Jesus. 
He, he chose a position where he could view Jesus above the crowd, where he could, he could see the hubbub of what was going on around Jesus. He could be witness to it, but he wouldn't have to engage it. He, he wouldn't have to be like right up on top of it. And I think this isn't, a, this isn't something that we should uh, this isn't something that we should pass over lightly. Now we don't know we don't know the state of Zacchaeus' soul here before he meets Jesus. But I get the feeling that that his desire to see what was going on around Jesus was not so much uh, related to his desire to just view the freak show. As much as it was to address something deep down within him that he recognized was missing, but they didn't know exactly how to address it. Because here's Zacchaeus, who it says is a wealthy tax collector, a chief tax collector, no less. A general manager of tax collectors. Had access to, via his physical wealth, really any resource that he possibly could have wanted in, this, um, in his community. But, but there was something missing. And through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, through the reputation that preceded him, probably from the testimony of others that Zacchaeus knew and had heard from, there was this latent sense of, I have a hole deep within me. I wonder if Jesus can fill it. What happens, uh, what happens a lot is that we become, even if subconsciously, self-aware of our own spiritual limitations. That there, that there comes a point in time where we we examine the spectrum or the timeline of our life and we look at it for what it really is and maybe not out in the public sector where, it's, where, we're, where we're airing out our laundry in front of everyone, but when we lay down at night and, it is just, and it's just us and the Spirit of God speaking to us, we recognize or continue to recognize that somewhere in the timeline there's a big gap there's this big hole. And, and in our striving, in our work, in our, in our effort to, to feel whole, in our effort to feel purposeful rather than purposeless, we have grabbed things from all over life and jammed them down into this hole in our life and see if they fit. See if they, see if they take that, that emptiness that sits there and, 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 and see if it fills it in a way that makes me feel like, huh, okay, 
this fits. But if you, if you view your life like this thousand-piece puzzle, right? And you do the outsides first, and then you begin to fill in the pictures all over the place, and then you get to the very middle, and you're down to the you're down to like three or four pieces before the puzzle is complete, before the before the picture makes sense, before you stand back and look at it, and you'd be like, "That's what the end goal was." And you take a puzzle piece and you try and fit it in the wrong space, right? It doesn't matter how hard you push, it doesn't fit there. And if you keep pushing, you're liable to break it, right? To rip it, to bend it, to damage it. And then no matter how hard you try and fit the pieces in the places that you think they should go, they simply don't fit and you're left with this hole that leaves the puzzle unfinished. The picture is not complete. You can't look at it and say, hmm, that's certainly what it's supposed to be. And I think that um, we all come to that point. And if you haven't come to that point, well, um, no, no offense, but I'm praying you do. Right? Like, I, I'm praying that, that if you haven't, that you, you come to the point of saying, well, you know, wow, I have tried every single puzzle piece to fill this hole in the middle of my life, and nothing has fit. And the more and more I try and jam puzzle pieces in, the more and more damaged I end up becoming, and I'm ready to grab on to the one thing that promises to fit and fulfills the picture or makes the purpose. And I think that Zacchaeus is at that critical stage of his life where he has probably tried every last puzzle piece. He's, he's probably tried influence, right? I'm a chief tax collector. I am very wealthy. Like, look at me. Right? And influence didn't cut it. I imagine that he has probably tried um, to, in some way, by a sense of purpose. Very wealthy man. And in the end, for all his influence, for all his position, for all his wealth, he finds himself climbing a tree to see if this man, his name is Jesus, can fill the hole. But if Zacchaeus only knew, if Zacchaeus only knew, he didn't really have to climb the tree. I mean, it's a good part of the story, right? It makes us chuckle, and it's it's an interesting part of the story, and it it gives us a it gives us a song to teach our to teach our kids, right? He climbed up in a sycamore tree. Right? A great story, but, but he didn't have to because, you see, it's, it's almost like that, that, that Zacchaeus, is, his climbing into the tree was, was another opportunity for him to, to keep at a distance the, 
maybe the uncomfortable puzzle piece that he knew was missing. To, to, be, able to, uh, to be able to distance his perceived limitations from the source of soul healing. Now, uh, here, really, really practically, let me, let me talk out of experience about what in my life has um, distanced me or that I have set as an obstacle between the reality of the whole in my soul and what I know promises to bring healing. Okay, so I've come to a point where, like Zacchaeus, I know my stuff ain't working, right? It, it ain't panning out, right? I know that there's a hole there. And, and I've heard, as Zacchaeus has heard, the testimony of others about the healing and saving and fulfilling power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I may have experienced it in bits and spurts in my own life, but I've never truly gotten down out of the tree and let Jesus into my house. Can I get an amen from the choir? Amen? Okay. Um, but, uh, but, but there's still these obstacles that, that I set in the way between, between fully engaging the thing that, that promises to bring healing. And, and what it often is, is it's not anything physical, um, but it's all uh, an attack of the enemy. Because the thing, the thing that keeps me most actively disengaged from the healing power of the gospel in Jesus Christ are things like guilt, shame, this this sense of what I've done, who I've done it to, what my life has, what my life has become. And I, and I have this inner monologue of like, man, I am, there is, I, I just have to climb up in this tree to see Jesus because there is no way Knowing what I know about who I am. Knowing what I know about what I've done. That Jesus wants anything to do with me. You know, and as soon as that, as soon as that little seed of guilt is planted. As soon as that seed of shame is, is planted, right? Or, or maybe it's this, maybe it's this like, um, well, I have all these questions about God and I, you know, all these, like, I just don't know what I believe, and, uh, um, like, my, my faith isn't very strong, and, and uh, you know, I, I just don't know if I can get there. And so because I have all these questions, I'm, I'm sure that, that, that God is, you know, is not on my side or, or has no desire to engage me if I have all of these, have all of these questions. And so once those little seeds of guilt and shame and, and, and lack of faith are, are, are planted even very, in a very shallow way in the soil of my soul, um, you know what the enemy does? He comes over and waters that seed, right? And he fertilizes it. And he, 
and he, he, try, he, he, plants, other se- he plants other seeds around it. And, and he tries to nurture that plant of guilt and that plant of shame and that, that, plant of, that plant of doubt. So soon enough, we find ourselves walking around, living our spiritual lives in this sense of needing to remove all guilt, needing to remove all shame, needing to remove all doubt before Jesus comes into the house. Um. Jesus himself, not to like blow up the whole spot here, but Jesus himself, the end of the story in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, says, says himself, says to Zacchaeus, look, look, bro, um, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Not that, that which was found, right? Like, like, I didn't come to tend the righteous garden that you've already planted, right? I have come to weed out the guilt, to weed out the shame, to weed out the doubt, to plant my own seeds of grace, of mercy, of love, of, of forgiveness, and if you uh, allow me to turn over the soil of your life, I will plant my own vineyard there. What strikes me so much about the attitude of Jesus here is that he was not afraid of the dirtiness of Zacchaeus. He was not afraid about how messy of a man spiritually Zacchaeus was. There was, there, was, there was no amount of guilt. There was no amount of shame. There was no amount of deceit in the life of Zacchaeus that, would, that scared away Jesus, right? He marched right up to the base of the tree. He looked up into the tree at Zacchaeus. And he was like, bro, out of the tree, it's time to spend some time together. And, and apart from just like being like, you know, you're okay, pat on the back, I'm praying for you, um, like you can do it attitude. And like Jesus was like, um, let's go to your house. Let's spend time together. Uh, let's have a meal. Uh, let's get close to one another. Uh, Jesus isn't afraid of the whole. Jesus isn't afraid of the guilt, right? Jesus isn't afraid of the shame. Jesus isn't afraid of the doubt. Jesus isn't afraid of of every limitation that you have placed upon yourself that keeps you at a distance from him, that keeps you as a person merely observing him from a distance but never really engaging him. Jesus isn't afraid of those obstacles that you have placed. In fact, Jesus is the man that climbs over the obstacles, comes to the base of the tree that you've climbed up in so you don't have to get close to him and says, if you'd be willing to just come down, we can work this out. He's not afraid of it. He's not worried about it. And this is what bugged people so much about Jesus. 
Is that even, even then, there was this sense of needing, of a person needing to figure it out spiritually before they arrived spiritually. Like, and you kind of get this sense of frustration from Jesus, right? Because he says stuff like this multiple times. He was like, you know, is it the well that need a doctor? You know, is it, is it those that are already healthy that need someone to heal them? Like, no. It's completely backwards. I, I have come, right, to, to heal the sick. I have come to, to find the lost, to seek them and to save them. You don't, you don't need to figure it out before you figure it out. And I do, um, I've always been, I've always liked athletics and being active and, um, and uh, I played soccer all the way through school and high school and then into college. And then when I got out of college, there was kind of like this vacuum of competitive environment. Like, because when you're done in college, if you don't go pro, which I certainly wasn't going to be, then, then like, where do you compete? What do you do? And so... Um, however many years ago I graduated from college, uh, 11 or 12 or whatever it is now, I, I, started, uh, I started in martial arts and have been doing it ever since, but I, and so continue to do it, and I hear people uh, all the time that I, I'm like, you, you should come and, and, and you should train with us, and it'll be fun, and it's, it builds good discipline, and you can really get in shape, and um, it's an outlet for, you know, for energy and for anxiety and all of this great stuff. And you know what I hear time and time and time and time and time and time again? Bro, I would love to come train with you. I would love to come work out, but dude, I got to take like a few weeks or a few months, and I just got to get in shape first so I can come exercise. Like, if you could just give me some, just, just give me a few weeks so I can, like, get in shape. And then once I'm in shape, then I'll come and get in shape with you. Now, I was never good at math, but if you carry the one and subtract the, like, no, you engage the source of healing when you recognize that there is a lack, right? Jesus is the source of healing. And you don't need to, you don't need to go off on a quest of healing before you engage the source of healing. Jesus is it. Um, here's what... Um, Here's where the story takes a little bit of a turn, though. If we can get behind the idea that the witness of Scripture shows us that Jesus was not afraid of Zacchaeus in any um, degree of sinfulness, in any degree of brokenness, uh, in any degree of him trying to stay as far away from Jesus as possible, like, if we agree that that didn't, that that didn't dissuade Jesus at all from approaching and then engaging with Zacchaeus as a sinner. Um, that, 
That can't possibly be the end of the story. And it's not. This is where the story turns. This is where the story um, takes a, a different path. Uh, because uh, there's this, this saying, and, and it does become a little cliche, but sometimes as cliche as cliches are, they're true, right? Is that Jesus loves you um, exactly for who you are. But he loves you way too much to let you stay that way. Like, you, you don't need to heal yourself before you come to Jesus. He loves you already. He, he loves you in that place that you are. He loves you up in that tree. He loves you in the midst of the brokenness. He loves you no matter how messy and dirty and, and like how many puzzle pieces are missing. He loves you anyway, but, but don't be mistaken. He wants the puzzle completed. He... He wants it changed. And we see that in Zacchaeus' life, like when he met Jesus, when he encountered Jesus, something, something changed. So look at, your, look at your scripture here, so you know I'm not just making this up, right? Verse 7, all the people saw this, began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Verse 8, <clears throat> but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will, re I will pay back four times the amount. Now, that is not the declaration of a man whose life is full of sin, is it? No. That's not the old Zacchaeus. That's the new Zacchaeus. The grace of Jesus Christ, the grace of Jesus to say to Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree, I'm going to your house. The grace of Jesus caused something in Zacchaeus. It, it did something in Zacchaeus. You see, here's the thing about the spiritual life. God always, always, always takes the first step. Always. God always takes the first step. The very, the very center and basis of the incarnation of Jesus Christ is that God took the first step. Right? When we were powerless to save ourselves, Jesus took the first step. Jesus came on the scene, right? 
God always takes the first step towards us. We cannot step towards God until He has first stepped towards us. And in Jesus Christ, God has taken an eternal step towards us. Right? But it can't be the end. We still have to step. We still have to make a decision. We, we still have to move. Because in the magnitude of God's great love for us, He will not drag us kicking and screaming into regaining the sense of purpose that He desires for our lives. He will not force a puzzle piece into the hole any more than you have the ability to make it right on your own. What we see in the life of Zacchaeus is that step. Jesus took the first step in grace. Zacchaeus takes the second step. You know, like... Um, Tell me if this has ever happened to you. you. Come to church on a Sunday. It's great, right? Worship, awesome. Fellowship, like, above board, awesome, right? Pastor Corey or Pastor Ben preaches. So, sermon, right on point, right? And you're feeling like, man, I'm walking on the spiritual clouds this morning. Nothing can get in my way. New person, right? Like, this is going to be a great week. Like, I got this on lockdown, right? You walk, and you walk out of this place and you're like, almost strutting your spiritual stuff and then Monday hits like a ton of bricks, right? And you're like, ah, why is it so difficult why is it so difficult? Monday through Saturday and so easy on... So, like when I'm with like the fellowship of the saints, right? In a spirit of worship. When the word is being proclaimed over me. Like it's... Like I'm, I'm good. I feel fulfilled. Like Jesus is here. Jesus is in me. Like there's hope for the future. Like I've, it's, it's good. It's good. It's good. It's easy to live holy. Um, but... I wonder if Zacchaeus was like, um, Jesus was right there at the table. So he was like, uh, look, God, I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. And if I've stolen anything from anyone else, right, I'm going to pay them back four times the amount. But what happens when Jesus leaves? Is it like the Monday morning? The question, the, like the the basis of the question, I'm getting excited, I'm afraid I'm going to push that out of the way. The basis of the question is this, is what is the key, not to the flash in the pan, Jesus is right here in front of me, I'm in church and I feel great, kind of transformation. What is the key to the real transformation that allows me to walk every single day in the midst of Jesus' healing power in my life. So no longer is there that hole. No longer are there those obstacles. But God has truly 
and, and, and authentically changed me. I'm different. I am what, what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, that I am a, a new creation in Christ. The old has, is gone. The new has come. Be, because I don't know about you, I'm going to just testify to my own life, but like, that is a, that's frustrating. Is I don't want just like modification. I want transformation. And those are the two different things that we can engage with here. We can experience modification on one hand, where we feel great on Sunday morning, we feel great in the presence of Jesus, like we feel everything is, is, um, is awesome and we, and we feel great, but modification, it only addresses the spiritual effects. I'm sad, I'm lonely, I'm hopeless, there's no future for me, I'm guilty, I feel shame, I'm angry, I'm prideful, effects, right? That's modification, and we're all pretty good at that, because we can all... We can all manufacture circumstances enough times in our lives to produce effects that make us feel spiritually good for a period of time. But, but, but Jesus is not in the business of just modifying our lives so that, so that we feel different emotions, right? Instead of modification of our lives, Jesus wants, wants transformation of our lives, right? So it's not the effects that are changed, but it's the causes that are changed. Why do I feel so hopeless? Why am I so prideful? Why am I so angry, right? Why are all my relationships broken? Why do I always think that way? Why do I always say those things? Why do I always this? Why is it always that? And what Jesus wants to address is not the effects of our lives, but the causes of our lives. By, by transforming who we are from the inside to the out, not from the outside to the in. And the way that we experience transformative change is through repentance. Now, listen. You might think that this is an overly churchy word. Like, ah, oh, repentance. It sounds like something they'd say in church. Welcome to church, then. Right? But I believe that when the scripture talks about repentance, right, like that we need to talk about repentance. And that if repentance is the, the key to transforming change in our lives, then we're going to, well, I'm going to plug into it, right? I'm... We're, I'm going to step into it because if, if this is what needs to happen for the causes of my life to change, then this is what we will do. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 32. Oh, I love hearing pages of the scripture flip around. 
Thank you, Jesus. Jesus answered them. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. All right? Remember last week we talked about when Jesus says something like flat out, we should always listen to it. All right? Pro tip number one. Jesus says something here we should listen to. Ready? I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to what? Repentance. What is the key to transforming change? The key to transforming change is engaging the one that calls us from sin to repentance. What is repentance? Well, we have 11 minutes, but we're going to try, okay? What is repentance? Repentance is not merely um, it's not merely doing something different, right? Uh, it's not merely saying, "I'm sorry, please forgive me." Uh, any person. Who, I was going to say parent, but you, even if you're not a parent, you've experienced this. You've been around a child, right? I mean, I've, Noah, our five-year-old, like, done something to his little sister, and like, like a parent does, right, wrong, or indifferent, go say sorry. Right? And, um, and the heart of the matter is that, is that you... You want there to be some, some transformation of the heart that brought hurt to the sister. But what, is, what happens? Sorry. Walk away, right? Sorry. Say you're sorry. Sorry. Right? And it never addresses the heart, right? And so, like, when I get caught in a pattern of sin, right, and I'm struggling with, like, I'm not transformed, I'm not being transformed. Like, there's no transformation, right? And I'm be like, sin, sorry. Sin, sorry. Sin, sorry. That is not repentance. Not repentance. That, that, that is not a pathway to forgiveness. Right? God cannot be mocked. God will not be mocked. You're, you're not fooling him. Uh, and you're not, you're not fooling anyone. Repentance is when I come face to face with the ugliness of my sin. And when I come face to face with the choice to step into sin or not. 
I go like this. And I walk the other way. The actual word repentant, repent, means to turn your back upon. So when I, re when I repent of my sin, it's not merely me saying as sincerely as I can, I'm sorry, Lord. It is the physical act of changing the environment and circumstances of my life so that I may physically walk away from the place where sin has, has continually and consistently entangled me. And I walk in a different direction. It's not, it's not flirting with it, right? It's not saying, how close can I get to it and still be on the right side of the line? It is a physical movement away from the place that consistently entangles me. And in order to experience transformation, there must be repentance. There must be a heart that says, I am so sickened by my sin. I am so fed up with the hole that is just eating away at me that I will no longer put up with it. Lord, by your grace, in the power of your Holy Spirit, give me the ability to walk away. And like we talked about last week, sorry Mary, like we talked about last week, right? When we pray prayers that God wants to answer, what does he do? He answers them. And so when we pray prayers, Lord, deliver me from sin. I want to walk away. I, I want to be transformed. I don't want this as a part of my life anymore. God is like Johnny on the spot with the answer. Like every single thing that he can do to empower you through his spirit to walk away from sin, he will do. And it becomes evident in your life, right? In the life of Zacchaeus, he did what? Like there was obviously restoration that he made with God. But what does repentance do? Repentance does uh, a few things. It, it affects your relationship with God. Here's the... That's, that's the easy one. Honestly, Right? but it also affects your relationship with others. All right? Because sin, although a spiritual condition, it manifests itself in the physical world, right? So, so my sin does not just affect me, right? My sin can also affect my wife, my children, my colleagues, my friends, my family, right? And so, so when, there's, when there's sin in my life and I repent of it, there must be some restitution, both spiritually, but also physically. Now, thanks be to God that, that when I repent, the restitution that is necessary between God and I is handled by Jesus Christ. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? Taken care of. Jesus handles it. We are declared not guilty before the Father through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Restitution is handled. But, Zacchaeus had to go around and repay a bunch of people, right? He had to be like, ah, cripes. All of these people that have cheated out of money. Like, I've repented from that place. I'm walking away from that. But, man, I got to take care of this, and I got to take care of this, and I got to take care of this, and I got to take care of this. Because you know what that does? Is that that's like a big, that's like a baseball bat hitting guilt and shame far away from him in the future. Right? Because if he didn't take care of it, if he didn't make restitution, then every time he saw little Miss Sandy, do we have any Sandys in here? Try not to do that. Over here, who he knew he stole from, but he owed, he owed money and he didn't repay her, you know what there would be? This sense of guilt, this sense of shame, this sense of dishonor. And when we allow those seeds to be sown in our life, they bloom into unrighteousness and unholiness. And so restitution is a, in the physical world, is a part of the spiritual process of being transformed from the person that you were to the person that God is making you to be. Now, um, real quick, sorry, two minutes, give me two. You with me with two? All right, okay. The bills aren't on yet, so we're good, right? I, pro I, pro I never preach long during football season, I promise. <laughs> okay. uh, so here's the thing. So, some of you, um, some of you are, are, are sitting here this morning and you're like, and, and the Spirit of God, right? It's not me, right? The Spirit of God has your sin right here. And it's probably just one. And you know what it is. And, and the Spirit is holding it here, not, not, not to see you squirm, right? Not to make you feel guilty, not, not for shame, but, but so that there is a, a keen awareness of the whole, of the gap. Because God so desperately wants to transform you. God so desperately wants to change you. God so desperately wants to move you from the place that you are to the place where he wants you to be. And he has stepped towards you in Jesus Christ. You can take the next step. You know what it is. You can take the next step. And you can repent. And you can come forward this morning. And you can see Pastor Corey. And you can see me. Or you can pray with Phil. And you can come forward and, and say, this is, my, this is where I've been. And I need to walk away from this. And this needs to change. And this needs to be new. And I can't do it by myself. But then there are others. Like, yeah, I ain't good, man. I'm good. No holes in this life. Right? 
No repentance needed. Big sign. Right here. Can I just encourage you to pray a prayer with me? From Psalm 139. One thirty-nine verses 23 and 24 as we close this morning. May this be the prayer of our lips, the prayer of our hearts, knowing, right, that when, that when I step off the stage, right, service is not over, right, the opportunity to walk away, the opportunity to turn your back, and to change the environment, to change the condition, to change the trajectory of your life. It can, it can start today. T today can be that watershed day, that watershed moment. To come forward and allow us to pray you through repentance that leads to righteousness. Psalm 139, verse 23. 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God will answer that prayer. Search us, Lord. Know our hearts. Point out any offensive ways in us, Lord. And lead us in the way everlasting. We submit to you, our Father, in repentance that leads to transformation.